and welcome back to Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury. This week, I'm going to be discussing my diagnosis of Lyme disease. I talked all about my medical history last week, and this week, we're going to dive into what's happened since I went on medical leave in August, everything that I've been through since then, leading up to my diagnosis. And part two of Maybe He's Born With It, Maybe It's Lyme Disease. Maybe he's born with it. Maybe it's Lyme Disease. Before we jump into the story, I do want to say thank you to everyone who wrote to me after last week's episode. I got one letter in particular from Hannah. This was a a comment posted on my website. So this is what Hannah wrote. Thank you for doing this, for sharing your experiences, for being real about the frustrations and general shittiness of dealing with chronic pain, doctors, and being told it's all in your head, for continuing the search and talking about it. I have been dealing with chronic pain for nearly five years now, ostensibly from an injury which I sustained the summer I was 26 but I know there must be something I'm missing. I'm tired of doctors telling me it's all in my head or a feedback loop which I just haven't yet effectively broken or because of my environment or habits. I've completely changed my lifestyle, my consumption habits, my environment. I do so much fucking yoga, but not the Instagrammable kind where I've practiced daily for four years and can therefore now contort and do handstands. I'm still laying on the ground amidst the flatulence of the 50-plus crowd practicing breathing. I've recently had the inkling that I should research Lyme disease. I stumbled upon your podcast today and it has sparked a fire. So thank you for putting this out there. Thank you for sharing your voice. I look forward to the next part. Part of what made that comment so special to me is the fact that it was posted hours after the episode came out. So it sounds to me like Hannah is not a subscriber of the podcast. Hannah just happened to search for Lyme disease and find this podcast the day it was released, hours after it was released. And that was the first feedback I got from the episode at all. Uh, The reason I put the episode out is in the hope that maybe if someone else was going through something similar, it might help. And to hear from from someone directly within hours that that had succeeded was a wonderful feeling to me. Because I was feeling very nervous and uncomfortable about putting that out last week. And this really helped me feel a lot better and really helped me feel excited about doing the second half. I also felt like I was part of something that was kind of magical because the internet can connect people in such a magical way. And for someone to find something that I've made that I put out on the internet, some random person to find that within hours and to write back to me and to have this thing that made us both feel better is crazy. That's it's like a one in a million like lightning in a bottle sort of feeling for me to get that letter within a couple of hours. So thank you, Hannah. That was really special for me. And I really appreciate that. And also, I really empathize with you. I mean, everything that you wrote in that letter, I love that so much of your personality came through in that letter. And it sounds like you're a really awesome person. And I wish you all the best in your diagnostic process. And I hope that maybe me talking about Lyme disease this week will help. So Uh, My first doctor's visit for this current flare-up that I'm still experiencing started on July 27th. That's the first time I went to the doctor. I was complaining of tingling in my arm and my leg and feeling kind of more run down all the time and mental confusion, issues like that. Since then, I've had 42 doctor's visits and 56 tests. I went through my chart, which is this online app that tracks my medical progress, I wanted to frame a reference for everything that I've been through in the last few months and try to figure out how many doctor's visits it was, 42, meaning a life, which is great because if you've read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, we're still trying to figure out the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything, and I have new evidence that maybe it's Lyme disease. So I went on medical leave. I The first few months were 
pretty awful. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. I could barely move. I was in so much pain all of the time, all day long, every day. The only thing I could do was get myself to doctor's visits. And it was so hard to get there that I would just go into massive muscle spasms as soon as I was at the doctor. Getting food for myself was incredibly hard. Getting myself to the bathroom was incredibly hard. Walking my dog was awful. Uh, I mean, walking my dog became just a, let's see if I can get outside so he can poop and we can go back inside. And I feel, I still feel bad. I'm sorry, Miles, that you did not get your walks for a little while. I had a lot of people coming around to help me, to cheer me up, to play cards with me, just to kind of make it a little more bearable to be home all the time. And I watched a hell of a lot of TV. But, but the thing that is difficult about being on medical leave is that you're living with a constant fear that you are broken, that something is irrevocably wrong with you that is not fixable. And the first thing that we were looking at when I went on leave was that I might have MS, multiple sclerosis. MS was uh, one of the original diagnoses that we had been exploring when I had my big flare-up in San Diego about eight years ago. To be diagnosed with MS, you have to have lesions in your brain. And I'd had an MRI done back in San Diego that showed no lesions at all. So one of the first things we wanted to do was look again for MS. Because MS is very hard to diagnose. It can take years for lesions to develop. So one of our first theories was that maybe I've had MS all along and the lesions just haven't shown up yet, so let's do another MRI. And that shit is scary. I mean, MS is a scary disease. I, I dated someone once with MS, so I'm pretty familiar with it. I'm not going to go into too much detail about it. If you're interested, you can look it up. Um, It's one of those things that is not curable. You can take pretty intense drugs to slow the progression of the disease, but the, the disease will progress. But I was in this mindset where I didn't know what was wrong, and I felt like MS would be better than not knowing. MS would be an answer. MS would make everything fall into place and make sense. And then I could move forward with my life in some way and try to figure out how to live with that disease. My doctor felt like MS was a pretty strong possibility. And we had a talk about that in which I needed to be prepared to see MS come back on the test results because that's how strong of a possibility we felt that it was at that time. MRIs are not the most comfortable thing. They're not that bad unless you have claustrophobia, but you basically plug up your ears, you put your head inside of a magnetic resonance imaging chamber and have them take pictures of your brain in little slices looking all the way through your brain to see see what's fucked up in there. And to everyone's surprise, the answer was nothing. I have a very normal brain. Thank you very much, from the outside at least. But that doesn't help. That doesn't explain the symptoms. Another thing I did right away in the beginning of being on leave was go see my oncologist, because if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that I had testicular cancer a couple of years ago, and because I suddenly had more intense symptoms, it seemed like a good idea to check in with my oncologist to see if maybe there was something cancer-related that could cause this. You know, at first there was talk about maybe I had a, a brain tumor, and I saw my oncologist, we talked it through, we talked about my checkups for... Uh, my testicular cancer because I still have to get checked up frequently because I never had chemo. Uh, So we just have to make sure it doesn't grow back after my surgery to remove the cancer. I mean, he brought up a couple of things that were possible that could cause the peripheral nervous system issues and the cognitive issues that that are cancer related, but he didn't feel like it was uh, anything that we needed to pursue at that point because I was going to have blood work done for the testicular cancer anyway. If tumor markers didn't show up in the blood, then it didn't seem like it was cancer related. So that was nice. That was a, a good thing to know. I went to see a neurologist on the 16th. This is a new neurologist that I'd never seen before. 
She told me right away that she did not think that I had fibromyalgia. She did not think that this was migraine related. She did not think that it was mold related. We talked through everything that I'd ever talked about with other doctors and she just kind of discounted all of it right away. Uh, and she had my MRI results because my, my primary physician had the foresight to have that test done first. At this point, I had great medical coverage. I went on a short-term disability leave from work, so all my medical coverage was still intact. And that lasted for about six months before I lost my insurance. Well, I'll get to that. My doctors could order any test they want, and my insurance was going to cover it. I met my deductible super quickly, and then, you know, the cost of medical care was not a big concern, which is incredible. That makes me incredibly lucky. So anyway, so my neurologist said, you know, this isn't MS. That's the good news. The bad news is I don't know what it is. So we're going to start to research this and see what it might be. You might have some sort of uh, seizure disorder, she says to me. She thinks that maybe I'm having micro seizures in my brain, that perhaps I have a form of epilepsy, a rare form of epilepsy that is manifesting in these strange symptoms. So she wanted me to get uh, an EEG to check my brain for unusual electrical activity. She also wanted to check further for other lesions, perhaps in my uh, in my upper spine or in my um, in my neck. So she had another MRI ordered. That one was rough. That one I was on the table for about 45 minutes where I just couldn't move. And you just can't even like wiggle or shift because it ruins the images. I was wearing earplugs and headphones to block out the sound of the MRI machine. And then you have someone uh, from one of the technicians piping into my headphones telling me, stop moving, stop moving. You're wiggling too much. It's going to take longer. And I'm just like, I have to move. My body is uncomfortable. But I get that second MRI done to check out more of my body and nothing was found. So I go back to the neurologist and, and she still says there's nothing wrong. There's one more diagnosis that she mentioned on the first visit that she called a conversion disorder, which is where your brain basically short circuits and responds to a stimuli in an incorrect way and, um, and is a behavioral health issue that needs to be treated by a psychiatrist. So... That was eerily similar to what the mold doctor told me eight years ago, where he said that my reaction to mold was an emotional issue that was manifesting into physical symptoms. So that's basically what a conversion disorder is. She didn't think that's what was happening, but that diagnosis was on the table. And if she couldn't find anything through the diagnostic testing, then that would be the diagnosis, which was kind of an ominous thing to say on the first visit. So I went and I had that EEG done. Uh, I actually went into spasms during the EEG where I was having intense muscle spasms. I was like squirming all over the table. I could not lie still. Luckily, that didn't happen during that MRI, but it did happen during the EEG, which actually is kind of lucky also because if there's a problem in my brain where I'm having micro seizures, we'll see that on the EEG. Uh, but we didn't see that. So that means that the micro seizures thing is out. My neurologist then orders a sleep study. Maybe I have a abnormal sleep architecture that could be creating these physical symptoms. So I go to have the sleep study done. It was, it was very uncomfortable. Uh, first of all, when you have a sleep study done, they have to attach electrodes to your jaw and to your head and all over you to, to measure what's happening in your brain during your sleep. And they didn't tell me that I needed to shave, that I needed to shave my face so they could attach electrodes to my face. So when I got there, my sleep study technician, who was a very nice guy, very uh, empathetic, cool guy, he's like, oh my God, they didn't tell you to shave? Well, I'm going to have to dry shave you uh, and to attach those electrodes. And if you've seen me, you'd know that I have very thick facial hair uh, and it grows very fast. And I was on day five or six of having facial hair. So it was thick and it was 
you know, a good quarter of an inch long and he had to dry shave that off and I was just bleeding. I mean, it was very uncomfortable and I couldn't even understand why that was a thing that was happening. It's like, why don't you have shaving cream? You have razors. It's one more step to get shaving cream. Why do you not have it? But anyway, he didn't have it. So he attaches these electrodes to my face and in my hair, he uses this thick putty to make sure the electrodes stay because I also have very thick hair. Uh, Knock on wood that that continues. Uh, So then he attaches all these electrodes all over me and I have this giant thing around my neck with all these electrodes attached to it that I then have to kind of cuddle with and and get into a nice comfortable position and then fall asleep, which is very difficult. Also, like I, I go to bed late. I have a hard time falling asleep in general. That's something that Lyme disease does. It messes with your on off receptors in your brain that tell you it's time to go to sleep. So sometimes I just feel like perfectly awake in the middle of the night and perfectly asleep all day long before then. But I uh, I take liquid melatonin to help help with that, which I've had really good success with. So I get to, I get to the sleep study at like eight p.m. and they want me in bed at ten p.m. and I just you know uh, fill myself up with melatonin to try to fall asleep. And the sleep study doctor was saying that my symptoms remind reminded me of a type of narcolepsy where your brain goes into sleep mode, but you don't actually fall asleep and you lose control of your body and you go into you can go into muscle spasms it's kind of um related to restless leg syndrome when you're really tired and your your feet start to kick uh that can be something sort of similar to this more extreme version of narcolepsy where you are actually awake and present and conscious but you can't control your body so that was promising and i got kind of excited about that i went to sleep with that hope that maybe he had cracked the code and i woke up in the morning and said your sleep architecture is totally normal that's it's nothing to do with narcolepsy and you know you seem okay my doctor's next idea was to have me get a memory test with a psychiatrist because I've been complaining of some pretty intense memory issues. It was getting hard for me to even remember where I was going when I was driving because I, I don't have a car, but I use car to go. And that's the cheapest way for me to get to the hospital. Uh, and there was days where I was driving myself and I was on, on the road and I'm like, what am I doing? Where am I? Where am I going? And I w- started driving the wrong direction. Uh, which clued me in that I really needed to be more careful about when I got behind the wheel, which isn't even something that I'd thought about, is that if I'm having cognitive episodes and memory lapses, maybe I shouldn't be driving. Uh, and I'm much more careful about that now. But anyway, I I was having these memory issues, so my neurologist said, well, let's send you to uh, a memory specialist. There's a doctor in my medical group at Pacific Medical Center who's a psychiatrist who does this six to eight hour long memory test where she asks you questions and then tests how well you remember them to test your short-term memory like a couple hours later. Uh, it's all it's all about short-term memory and seeing if anything is degraded in your short-term memory. So that sounded interesting and promising because if there's a memory issue that is caused by something in the brain, that type of testing can often point to what it is or at least point to what it's not. So I go in for the memory test. And I did so well, you guys. I did so well. I got out in six hours, and I was told that it was supposed to be eight hours. So I got done so fast that the psychiatrist, who was lovely, I had a great time with her. She said, you know what? Let's just talk. I mean, have you seen a psychiatrist for any of this? Like, maybe let's just talk and if you want to vent about anything or something like that. So we talked for an hour, just sort of a psychiatry session, and I got so much out of it, and it was really wonderful and lovely. And she was telling me, you know, like, don't worry about the conversion disorder. This does not seem like a conversion disorder to me, uh, but there are a lot of 
there is a lot of benefit that you could get from seeing a psychiatrist because what you're going through is very difficult and stressful and it would be nice to talk to someone. I'm like, great, can I talk to you? Because I like you. And unfortunately, she's not available for that because she does different type of work, but she did recommend someone for me to see. I go back to the neurologist for the last time and we go over the results from the sleep study, from the uh, from the memory test, and she says, look, you're, everything's coming back normal. Uh, there's nothing wrong with you neurologically. And because of that, the diagnosis that I have to give you is a conversion disorder, uh, which felt like such a cop-out to me because she told me in our very first meeting that if she couldn't diagnose me, it would be a conversion disorder. So that already makes it sound like that's not a diagnosis. You know what I mean? It makes it sound like it's uh, like the type of people who think of fibromyalgia as bullshit. It's like she thought of this diagnosis as bullshit and gave it to me anyway. So she said her best guess was a conversion disorder and she wanted me to go to see a, a behavioral psychiatrist. You know... The only reason I agreed to it was because I'd already decided to do it just for other reasons, uh, just because I was, I did get so much out of seeing a psychiatrist. And I've always believed that psychiatry is wonderful and everyone should go see a psychiatrist. Cause like, I feel like most people have things that they maybe can't work out on their own in their own mind, you know, or even if they can, seeing a psychiatrist can speed up the process of dealing with your shit to kind of be a healthy, happy individual. And I am such a huge fan of, of self-reflection and of looking deep inside yourself to understand yourself. And I like being in the environment of doing that. So seeing a, a psychiatrist really appealed to me at that point. And I'd never really done it before. I'd seen one for three or four sessions before I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia because not knowing what was wrong was getting depressing. But once I was diagnosed, that sort of sadness lifted and I felt like, man, I can move forward with a diagnosis. But now that that diagnosis is gone, my sadness was starting to come back. My sadness at not knowing what was wrong with me, of feeling like there's this thing that's fundamentally flawed inside of me that will never be figured out and never be fixed, that is depressing. And it gets very difficult to hold your head above water with that looming over you and your neurologist telling you that you might be crazy, you know? So... So anyway, so psychiatry is now on the table. That's the thing that we're moving forward with. Looking more at the conversion disorder is something that we're moving forward with as well. So I go back to my primary physician and I say, look, this is what my neurologist says. And she seemed excited, which kind of added insult to injury. She's like, you know what? Like, I can't find anything wrong with you either. And it would be great to have a way forward. Her excitement was just to have a way forward. I don't think she quite realized that that diagnosis was kind of a, a touchy subject for me. And getting, getting more so all the time when all these doctors are kind of piling on saying like, look, I don't think anything's wrong with you, but maybe we can uh, shrink you, <laughs> shrink your brain until it works normally again. Uh, but she did send me to see a, a rheumatologist because, you know, just to check out pain issues, to look at inflammatory markers, to try to really uh, get rid of any possibility of autoimmune disease. And I talked to her about Lyme disease at this point because... Uh, years ago, I met someone with Lyme disease who was convinced that I had Lyme disease, and she was trying very hard to get me to get tested for it. And I talked to my doctor about it at that point. We're talking like two years ago. I said, look, like my symptoms have gotten a lot better, and I'm living pretty healthily, and I think I have it under control, but uh, is this worth looking into, like the possibility that I have Lyme disease? And she said no, because the test that the testing for Lyme disease is so um, controversial that at that point... There was very good evidence to point out that the Lyme disease test that this woman recommended for me was just complete bullshit and a waste of time. So we just didn't go down that road. But years later, when my symptoms come back even worse than ever before, I started to piece together 
that this was the same illness that I'd had eight years ago, that I'd had in high school, that I'd had uh, possibly even as far back as second grade, that maybe something had been wrong for, for a really long time and was getting worse. The flare-ups were getting worse every few years. And maybe mold wasn't the culprit, but a trigger for something else that was inside of me. And Lyme disease seemed like a possibility once, you know, MS and all these other things that also fit that bill were ruled out. So I brought it up again and my doctor said that she would run some sort of blood test to check my autoimmune inflammatory response. Um, and because she had done that and it came back normal, it couldn't be Lyme disease. So we actually ruled out Lyme disease uh, within the first three months of me being on leave which as you may remember is wrong, but we'll get there. So my doctor sends me to a rheumatologist. The rheumatologist, I did not like at all. She treated me like I was a crazy person. She's just like, all your tests came back normal. You're obviously fine. So let's send you to a shrink. Another person saying that. I had also been seeing, uh, getting checkups done for cancer and for my ears throughout this period because Whatever's been going on, whenever I have bad flare-ups, my ears get bad. And I still don't even know if that is possibly Lyme disease related. Uh, but I was seeing another doctor, the ear doctor, who was telling me, I can't find anything wrong with your ears. Uh, so your hearing should be normal. Eventually, I did discover that the, ear, the pressure in my ears is an imbalanced. Uh, I finally got a hearing test done that proved that. But my doctor still says he can't fix that, which is really fucking annoying. So I've lived with this like ear pressure and this pressure on the right side of my head that I can't tell if they're related or not. I think they're two different things, uh, but I have, I'm continuing to live with both of those because the ear thing can't be fixed, apparently, according to this guy. Anyway, a digression. So my primary doctor is just straight up out of ideas at this point. And she'd been seeing me for years. So it's understandable. She's, she's great. You know, I mean, she's, she, she did rule out Lyme disease, which I forgive her for because she is great and sent me to so many different people. And then the big breakthrough for me happened when my primary physician says, hey, I'm out of ideas. I have a friend who's a functional medicine doctor. You may not be familiar with functional medicine, but she deals with more of the fringe cases where people go through really long diagnostic processes and can't be uh, diagnosed. Functional medicine deals more with the whole body as a system, and it looks at root causes of things instead of just symptoms. And it's kind of somewhere between uh, naturopathy and traditional Western medicine where they do use uh, herbs or supplements to try to help with things as well as just prescription medicine. And they will take a look at your bacterial flora. They look at your gut. They look at what you eat. They look at everything to try to figure out if there's some sort of systematic issue in the body. So she has a friend who does that. She sends me to her friend. And the first time I met with her, I felt so hopeful because at this point I, ha I had met a doctor who said, uh, I don't think that you're crazy. I don't think you have a conversion disorder. I do think there's something wrong with you. I think that everything going back to second grade is relevant and related and we're going to tr try our best to figure out what it is. So that doctor gave me hope right away. And she tested my poop. Uh, which I've mentioned a couple times because I'm still, still amazed that there is, uh, there's human feces in the mail. Uh, you, you get a kit where you, you like poop in a little, uh, container that you kind of dangle in the, in the toilet. So it doesn't like your poop goes in the container instead of into the water. And you have to actually dish it into different, uh, like containers with different liquids to preserve it or to react with something and then one that's just your poop in a container and it's very gross and you have to do a lot of work to get your poop mailed off. Uh, you got to send it right away so that it doesn't go bad and it's just so weird. Like there's poop in the mail. It's crazy. And I also had to mail off some blood. 
because she wanted to test uh, she wanted to test me for autoimmune reactivity. She was not convinced that my autoimmune testing had been thorough enough. I talked to her about my diet. I have been gluten-free for years now um, because I tested going gluten-free and it worked really, really well for my migraines. So I just stayed that way. I used to be vegetarian. And when I was vegetarian, I was eating wheat gluten a lot, seitan, which is just pure wheat gluten. And then I started getting sicker and sicker towards that big flare-up in San Diego, and I had always wondered if maybe my vegetarian diet had contributed to that. Once I found out that I was gluten-sensitive and that I'd been almost like freebasing gluten when I was vegetarian, it made sense that maybe that sent my body out of whack into the big flare-up that happened, along with the mold that I was being exposed to. But I had a lot of stressors on me that weren't good for me that could be potentially causing something else to flare up. And because of that, she wanted to test me for autoimmune reactivity to uh, to several things. I, I don't quite understand all of this, but th there are sort of autoimmune markers that you can find in the body if you are having an issue that's crossing the blood-brain barrier, I'm sure I'm saying this wrong. I, yeah, it's all very hazy in my memory, but she did this big autoimmune test where I had to mail my blood away to some other lab. We'd now crossed into the great beyond of medical testing that my medical center could not even do. And I go to Pacific Medical Center, it's huge. I mean, there's tons of doctors. All my doctors are in one medical center, which is great, so they can all see my uh, my test results and everything like that. So she sends this test away and it came back with no problems. It did not look like I had an underlying autoimmune disease at that point, which is good news. Around this time, I started developing some physical symptoms on my right leg. Uh, a bunch of the hair in my right leg fell out and then I started developing these sores uh, on my toes. My toes were turning purple and, and having these sores on them, which I'd never experienced or heard of. So I went back to a doctor. I saw a dermatologist and she diagnosed it as pernio, which is something that often happens with lupus or because your feet are cold. So if you have bad circulation for any reason, it can cause pernio. Uh, and, and yeah, it's a sign of lupus. So I was tested for lupus and that came back negative. Around this time, I also started seeing a behavioral psychiatrist. And the first time we met, we had a great rapport. And for about 45 minutes of the hour, she was just talking about how sure she was that I didn't have a conversion disorder. But then in the last 15 minutes, for reasons that are very personal that I'm just not comfortable going into, she started asking me about my personal creative history and things about how I react when I release music or podcasts and they don't do well because there's a big stress involved in that for me that I've really gotten uh, taken leaps and bounds to get over uh, since I started podcasting because I put something out so often it, I don't necessarily have time to get upset about people not hearing things that I make. And then later, you know, you never know when someone's going to find something. Like I put out this episode about Pitch Black and then like weeks after it came out, I posted it on Reddit and it went up by hundreds and hundreds of plays. And it's now the most listened to podcast that I've ever made, which is so bizarre uh, and really exciting, but just proved to me that, you know, I don't need to be stressed about what I put out doing well because I just need to put things out. That's more important. But when I was younger, when around the time, see now I said it was too personal to go into and now I'm going into it, so fuck it. So about seven or eight years ago when I had that big flare up in San Diego was around the time that I finished my album Washington from the Shadows back when I was releasing stuff under my real name of Jesse Plack. And the album I, I thought was going to propel me to superstardom because <laughs> uh, I had this God complex about my own music where I thought that I was just, you know, the next John Lennon. I was convinced of this. Uh, and then that album didn't go anywhere. It didn't really do much besides 
get some like decent local attention, which by my standards now is fantastic. But at the time I thought that I was going to be, you know, the next Lady Gaga or something. I had real serious delusions of grandeur and having that album not do that well was a real wake up call to me. It really kind of broke my own God complex about my own creativity. That happened after I got sick. But my doctor, my psychiatrist was thinking that maybe, maybe getting sick was a physical manifestation of my fear of success. So by telling her all this stuff about my fears and uh, fears of success and stuff like that, that album, I put it out and it didn't get immediate great reception. So I stopped putting like pushing it, you know, like my sci-fi album, I've been pushing constantly for years because I love it and I stand behind it and I believe in it. I didn't used to be that way. I used to put something out and then feel kind of embarrassed by it if it didn't get, you know, universal acclaim. And then I just move on. And when you work on an album for three years and then you put it out and then you move on from it, it's very depressing. (laughs) Uh, But I didn't think the timeline made sense to have that cause any physical manifestation because my physical issues started before I even put the album out. So that didn't make sense to me. But right at the end of our first session, she said, you know what, We're, we're gonna examine this more and maybe there is something to this conversion disorder diagnosis. So I left that appointment uh, freaking the fuck out because she even said the words like maybe the thing that makes you special that's the the your favorite thing about yourself your creativity this thing that's the best thing about you maybe that is causing uh some sort of short circuit in your brain because it's such a strong impulse in you maybe it is causing some sort of physical damage so i went home from that appointment uh processing that and within a couple of days was having constant anxiety all day long which was interesting because I've experienced anxiety many times in the past, but it had always kind of come up inexplicably. Lyme disease can cause anxiety. And I'd had it randomly for no reason, but then it goes away. And I'm like, well, that's weird. And it feels disconnected from me. It doesn't feel like it's coming from me. So I'm just going to accept the fact that sometimes I have these anxiety attacks and that it doesn't mean anything. It's not me. And I can just be okay later and then be okay with being okay. Cause that's hard to do, but I'd, taught myself to do that. But then this doctor was basically giving me this, you know, the clinical possibility that that my own creativity, my my spark, my fire, the thing that I love most about me is causing is, is the thing that's causing me to lose years of my life to illness, to being on the couch waiting to get better, and that was so terrifying. I can't even I can't even quite wrap wrap it up into words for you to tell you what that felt like to me. Uh, But that anxiety became so intense and such a part of my life so quickly. And it lasted for weeks. Um, And I got really lucky that the Lyme disease thing came down the pike very quickly after this. Uh, But yeah, I mean, basically I was, I, I was at the point where I started to truly believe that, maybe I was crazy. You know, like maybe I had broken my own brain somehow. Uh, You know, I'd considered that eight years ago when I saw that mold doctor, but I had dismissed it because it felt so wrong. But this time there was no dismissing it. I had so many doctors telling me to examine it. So many doctors, at least a half dozen doctors telling me that they thought that maybe I had a conversion disorder and that that was the best diagnosis to move forward with. And then once there was a real life thing that was attached to it that could have maybe caused it i was like shit fuck shit fuck shit fuck shit fuck shit fuck shit fuck (laughs) it's just like this uh this 
it's like rolling down a hill of anxiety that just gets stronger and stronger. And there's no way to stop rolling down the hill because, uh, because let me, let me try to explain to you what the scenario looked like for me at home. At that point, I would get hot. I would go into muscle spasms and uh, it, it was just so uncomfortable. My brain would sort of turn off. Like we're talking something that if someone else is here and sees it, it's terrifying. And they think that I'm having a seizure uh, and I have to be iced down to cool down and stop feeling this, this crazy way. And so that, that kind of thing was happening to me um, with and without anxiety. But then if there's anxiety on top of it, I just start hyperventilating and I can't breathe. And like, there's times where I like literally can't get air into my lungs because I'm spasming so hard. It got dangerous pretty quickly to have anxiety in my life, which taught me something, which taught me that I did not have anxiety causing this before because it felt so different. It felt like night and day difference of how worse it was, how much worse it was to, to have those symptoms and anxiety kind of gotten on top of these other symptoms and created a new monster that was even harder to deal with. And it was terrible. It was awful. And then I go back to my functional medicine doctor because of the autoimmune testing came back negative. She wanted to test me for Lyme disease. She wanted to do uh, not just autoimmune inflammatory markers. She wanted to get the Western blot. The Western blot test for Lyme disease is the most specific test you can get. And I'll get into that in a few. But she had ordered that test. And because of my chart, I can see my test results before I go see my doctor. So I saw the Lyme disease test results and it was so confusing. And there's notes at the bottom that say, um, you know, if you have these many bands positive and these many bands negative, it's a false positive. If it's the IgG versus the IgM test results. And basically, according to this test, it was a false positive Lyme disease test. So I saw it and I had this moment like, oh my God, it looks like I have Lyme disease because these different markers say positive. But then when I, I really dived into the, the meaning of the test and the results of the test as according to the CDC, it was very clear that it was a, a false positive. So... Uh, so at first I thought Lyme disease was out of the question before I even went to see my doctor. And at, at that point I had kind of lost hope that it was anything other than a conversion disorder. So I started to look very deep inside myself and say like, what can I do to accept that? Because even thinking about it is sending me into an anxiety nightmare. I can't even think about it. It's just like, it's, it's admitting that I had been wrong for almost a decade, you know, almost a decade of being so convinced that I wasn't crazy uh, that, uh, that ever since this mold doctor brought up this sort of conversion disorder hypothesis, because his disorder had a different name, but was basically the same thing. Ever since it had been brought up, um, I had been fighting against having to admit that maybe he was right, you know, because that's the last thing I wanted to do. And now I was having to really wrestle with that. It seemed like the tidal wave was crashing and that that was going to be what was left behind when the water cleared. So I went back to my functional medicine doctor and she told me the Lyme disease test was positive. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? How can that be? I, I did all this research and I read about the CDC recommendations and it says that this is a false positive. I had missed the family trip to, to Mendocino that my family goes on every year for the holidays. Uh, but I had called them and told them the good news that I didn't have Lyme disease, you know, because, uh, you know. I couldn't be there with them to celebrate the holidays. We're Jewish, so you know, couldn't celebrate Hanukkah together. And I was alone for the holidays, which was kind of depressing. But at least I didn't have Lyme disease. It was the only thing I could hold on to, even though that meant that, uh, that I probably had a conversion disorder. Because that's like the last case scenario, you know, when, you're, when your brain is as weird as mine. 
I had already told the family that it was off the table and then I go back in and that's for some reason that's the thing that I was most upset about. It's like, well, I can't have Lyme disease because I told my family that I didn't, which is such a weird reaction. She laid out the test results for me and said, look, the CDC test results for Lyme disease are wrong. (laughs) I've done a lot of reading since I've been diagnosed and since I had this discussion with my doctor about how the CDC definition for a disease might be wrong because that was news to me. But here's here's what I've come to. The CDC definitions for most diseases are so strict that they have to be correct 100% of the time. Diagnostics for so many diseases are so hard and so kind of confusing, and there is a lot of gray area. But because the CDC is our governmental agency that says what diseases are and aren't, it has to be correct. So... Lyme disease in particular, they have a very, very strict view of what it is. But if you have that, if you meet that criteria, you have Lyme disease 100% of the time. But here's, here's the problem. It only captures 60% of the people with Lyme disease because 40% of the people who go through that test may have Lyme disease even though they don't meet the criteria for the CDC. And there's this very strange thing in our medical establishment that says that if you don't meet that criteria, you don't have Lyme disease. And that has been disproven by a lot of science and a lot of doctors and a lot of firsthand experience, but it has not reached mainstream acceptance because the CDC has not said that it's true. And so many doctors out there say, well, if the CDC says it's not true, it's not true. And that's not true. And that's so frustrating and so annoying. But basically, my test results for Lyme disease showed a very strong possibility of Lyme disease. It didn't show at first that I had it. It showed a very strong possibility. My doctor said she diagnosed people with Lyme disease with even less than that on the test results. And the reason that my test results were weird is because I showed an active Lyme infection. The CDC uh, tests three bands for IgM proteins. And I'm not I'm not well-versed enough in this to explain what that means to you, more than the fact that uh, if you have two of the three of those bands positive, you have an active Lyme infection in your body. And I had two of the three present. So that looked like an active Lyme infection. But you also test IgG antibodies. Those antibodies tell you if you have an old Lyme disease infection. It's sort of the, the memory of the immune system. And according to the CDC... You have to have five of 10 bands positive, five of 10 bands positive to say that you had an old Lyme disease infection because your your immune system will still have these proteins or whatever they are, IgG proteins, I think, in your body uh, just from having had Lyme disease. And I only had two. So according to the CDC definition, I did not have an old Lyme disease infection. For someone like me who had old symptoms, that is interpreted as a false positive. So my functional medicine doctor is not as familiar with Lyme disease, but she does know someone in Seattle who I will name drop because I've never met him, so I don't feel weird about it. His name's Dr. Marty Ross. He's sort of the big Lyme specialist in Seattle. And he has a, a website called treatlime.net where I'm, I've done a lot of research. So most of my numbers, uh, percentages, anything that I'm taking is either from like a CDC definition or from something that my doctors have told me. And more, more often than not, it's gonna be from treatlime.net from Dr. Marty Ross. So I did some really deep dive research into Lyme disease on his website at her recommendation because she said, I feel like you have Lyme disease. And then she did a backup test called the CD57 test, which is what checks your, your white blood cell count. And even according to the CDC definition, I had a low white blood cell count. So that in Lyme circles is used 
as a confirmation in a case like mine, where it looks like a false positive, but you have an active Lyme infection, uh, if your white cell blood cell count is low, then that means that maybe it's not false positive after all. And then furthermore, having any, any bands of the IgG, which is the old infection, having any bands positive, and remember I had two, can be indicative of an old Lyme disease infection. And the reason that you only have two is because Lyme disease constantly changes and looks different. So according to Dr. Ross, his methods, he, when he looks at the IgM, which is the active infection, he looks to see if you have two of six bands present. CDC looks at two of three bands. Uh, CDC test only catches it in 60% of people who have it. Dr. Ross's test for IgM looks for two of six bands. If you are positive in his tests, you have Lyme disease 80% of the time, but it catches it 100% of the time. So what that means is that there's a 20% chance that it's a false positive test, but there's an 80% chance you have Lyme disease. According to the CDC, I don't have Lyme disease, but there's a there's actually a 40% chance that that's wrong. So those odds are, you know, it, the odds are twice as good in the favor of me having Lyme disease versus not having Lyme disease. But just throwing throwing it out at that point makes no sense because treating Lyme disease is a diagnostic tool to find out if I have it. So just ignoring the test results and saying he doesn't have it versus trying to treat it uh, makes absolutely no sense. Makes no sense. But that's what the medical establishment has been trained to do by the CDC. The more reading I do, the more I become convinced that at least trying to treat for Lyme disease is a good idea. And when I took these test results back to my psychiatrist, she's like, she she was a naturopath before she went into psychiatry. And when we talked about it, she said, I'm, I'm very convinced that you have Lyme disease. I don't think you have a conversion disorder. I think this is Lyme disease. I actually thought it might be Lyme disease last time, but I was waiting to hear the test results. And the only reason I really wanted you to think about a conversion disorder is to kind of challenge yourself and to think these things through, which I kind of understand, but I really wish had not happened because those couple weeks of intense anxiety, I would have loved to have avoided. But at that point, my anxiety level goes way down because uh, Lyme disease is kind of the best case scenario. The other thing that, that is still on the table at this point, according to my functional medicine doctor, is mitochondrial disease, which is another sort of out there diagnosis, which is basically a... Uh, a genetic mitochondrial dysfunction. And it's a nasty, nasty thing to have. And it looks just like Lyme disease in a lot of cases because Lyme disease breaks down your the functioning of your mitochondria. And I was dating someone at the time who was a nurse and she was watching me go into these intense episodes and she thought that it looked like mitochondrial disease. And I'll be totally honest with you, mitochondrial disease is actually still on the table. Uh, very unlikely at this point that I have that. It's more likely that I have Lyme disease. But like I said in the first episode, uh, that I'm not acting on 100% diagnosis here. I'm acting on, um, I, in my opinion, it's like 85, 90% with all of the research that I've done that it's probably Lyme disease. And that's good enough for me. But anyway, uh, mitochondrial disease was on the table. But, there's, but there was really no way to test for that. There was a test for mitochondria to see if they were breaking down. But they'd be breaking down anyway with Lyme disease. So it doesn't make sense to test for that. Really the only thing that makes sense to do at this point, according to my functional medicine doctor, who I now trust and believe because, I mean, she had tried so many things that were so outside of the box. She found positive test results for Lyme disease which within the first like month or two of seeing her. And keep in mind that I've been going through diagnostics for about seven and a half years, almost eight years at this point. 
uh, two really condensed periods of diagnostics where no one else had found anything. And even that poop test, she found that I had no good bacteria in my stomach. I had I was overrun by bad bacteria, but I didn't I did not have a healthy biome at all in my gut. So I had to go on an elimination diet. Uh, which was a pain in the fucking ass. I went on an elimination diet and I felt no better after a month of doing that. So then she switched me to a modified ketogenic diet uh, and I instantly felt better, which is a further sign of of Lyme disease because uh, the ketogenic diet she put me on is something that Dr. Ross recommends for his Lyme patients. Dr. Ross costs way too much money to go see and he doesn't take insurance so that wasn't even on the table for me but she's she knows him and she got to ask him questions she got to show him my Lyme disease test results and he was like this kid has Lyme disease you know like by his by his definition I am a very 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 high percentage uh, Lyme disease diagnosis whereas by the CDC I'm zero which is bizarre uh, but he was convinced that I had it and and he recommends this ketogenic diet so I, I'm gonna take a, a couple minutes here to talk about that because uh, I am making zero, 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 zero recommendations to any of you about doing any sort of diet at all. Please, please hear me. <laughs> I'm not recommending that anyone go gluten-free or go vegetarian or do this ketogenic diet or do an elimination diet because I've done all of those. Uh, the only diet that I've ever really loved was the one I was on right before I got sick this time, which was a diet that I put together based off of my own self-testing that seemed to me to work the best. I had cut out gluten. I'd cut out a whole bunch of other random things, but I ate meat. I ate a lot of vegetables, a lot of leafy greens. I cooked for myself a ton. Uh, I bought high quality, ethically sourced meat from the co-op. I really went out of my way to have a really nicely well-balanced sort of uh, real food diet. So going on this elimination diet was a pain in the ass, but the ketogenic diet is, is a fundamental change in how you eat. Uh, basically, when you normally burn things for energy, you burn carbs and sugar, but it's also possible to burn fat for energy. And it's very complicated and you need to talk to a doctor about this if you're going to try it. Um, but you can put your liver into a state of nutritional ketosis where you burn fat instead of carbohydrates for energy. So you just cannot eat any grains because they have too high of a carb content. So it's very high fat. It's medium chain fats. Like you don't want to, like there's all these oils you have to avoid that are long chain fats that can past the blood brain barrier or something like that. You have medium chain fats that that can feed your brain with energy basically and and substitute carbs. And you put yourself into nutritional ketosis and it's supposed to uh help your body to renew all sorts of things quicker. So if I have mitochondria being torn apart by uh by Lyme disease, this diet is supposed to help with that. Uh, it's kind of a do no harm diet where I didn't necessarily need to be on it, but it might speed up the recovery of Lyme disease. And the first week on it was the best week I'd had since I went on medical leave. Uh, at this point, we're, we're about six, month, six months into leave when I'm really researching Lyme disease and looking at it. It was right around the turn of the year. Uh, so just like three months ago. I mean, I remember going to a New Year's party and seeing friends and telling them, I think I have Lyme disease because uh, that's when I found out and that's when I got to tell people. And the, an interesting thing had started to happen was the flare-up had started to kind of decrease in intensity, where I was able to start doing more and more. I thought maybe in a couple months I'll be able to go back to work. It was getting better and better, getting closer to that place that I was before the flare-up had started. 
And then I went on this ketogenic diet. I noticed some pretty extreme improvements. I read an entire book about this diet before I started eating that way. Uh, there's this doctor that my, another doctor that my functional medicine doctor knows named Dr. Terry Walls, and she has MS and was in a wheelchair and she treated herself with a ketogenic diet that she did a lot of research on to try to find something that would help with MS and actually got out of the wheelchair. So there is new research going on right now that potentially autoimmune disorders have a lot more to do with uh, inflammation based off of diet than is, was previously known. This is, <laughs> and this is wading into territory that I I mean, th that book read like a self-help book. So I am not recommending necessarily that anyone read it, uh, but I read it and it was very interesting. And there was a lot of information in there about how to maintain a healthy ketogenic diet. So I'll just put that out there because that, I mean, that my diet now is based off of that and I have to be on that diet throughout the course of my treatment. So I'm just eating tons of coconut oil, uh, ton, like very high fat meals, a lot of leafy greens, a lot of vegetables of different varieties, a decent amount of animal protein, and then that's kind of it. I mean, no sugar, no wheat, no corn. <laughs> and it's, it, I mean, those things alone, it's uh, no soy. It's really hard to find products without those things in them. So it's kind of left with just cooking hundred percent of the time. And, uh, I got a massive sweet tooth. I'm obsessed with chocolate. So I actually found like hundred percent cacao chocolate to eat. Cause I needed it. It's been, it's been tricky, but I, I'm making it work. And at first I noticed this huge improvement, but that improvement went away pretty quickly. And it seemed like I was better overall, but, uh, and it seemed like it gave me a boost and it seemed like it was helping me get back towards my healthiest place, even though my flare-up came back after that. So I continued eating that way at my functional medicine doctor's recommendation. So then we start talking about uh, whether or not I should continue in the diagnostics, because she did have a couple other ideas to look into, which was incredible. Like seeing a doctor with ideas is amazing. And functional medicine is such an integrative approach to health that uh, it's just, it opened up this whole new world for me. If, if I could give anyone advice. If anyone is struggling with getting a diagnosis, my only advice for you is to find a doctor who continues to present you options and possibly look into functional medicine because it's relatively new. It is covered by a lot of insurance providers. And it was the make or break thing for me was finding a functional medicine doctor at my primary care doctor's recommendation. So uh, yeah, I mean, even though my primary care doctor I don't think ever would have gotten me there. I don't think she ever would have gotten me to a diagnosis herself. She did get me to a person who got me to a diagnosis. And that's what I need from a primary care physician who's kind of more in the traditional medical establishment. But for me personally, as far as my diagnostics are concerned and having someone to look forward to treatment and, and all that sort of stuff, the functional medicine is, is the way for me. That's what really worked. So I'm not recommending that anyone take any steps on their own to treat anything. If you think you have Lyme disease, talk to a functional medicine doctor. Uh, that That's the only recommendation that I can give you. Or or find a doctor who is well-versed in Lyme disease to talk to, to, to get a more definitive answer. If your test results are iffy or something like that, look at treatlyme.net. Look at what Dr. Ross has to say. Don't take anyone's word for anything, but try to find someone who keeps presenting you options because the type of doctors that say that they're out of ideas and that your options are over 
That's crazy. That is crazy. If you have a doctor who says they're out of ideas and they want to send you another doctor, that's wonderful. That's great. But if they tell you that because they're out of ideas, like my neurologist, because she was out of ideas, then the diagnostic process is over and you have a conversion disorder, you know, because she's out of ideas. Like the ego involved in that is staggering to me. We know so little about the human body compared to what we don't know, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, we know a lot, but but that percentage of what we know based off of my experience is so small compared to what we don't know. Because I get told by doctors constantly, we don't know this for sure, but dot, dot, dot. I hear that all the time, all the time. Science is a wonderful, amazing product of, of human brilliance. Medical science is an incredibly slow and plodding process that is completely hamstrung by uh, the economics of the medical structure and completely hang, hamstrung by pharmaceutical companies whose best interests are in keeping you sick and keeping you on their pills. That is the basis of our medical system, and it's so fucked up. And it has made it so hard for real science to happen. Like, science is not the enemy here. Capitalism is the issue. Capitalism should be completely separated from the medical establishment. It should be impossible for people to make money off of other people's being ill, in my opinion. Ooh, man, I'm sorry. I got in a soapbox there for a second. Anyway, so the treatment for Lyme disease is antibiotics. And that seems great, right? It's like you just take some antibiotics, you kill the Lyme disease, and it's over. But it's not that simple because when you've had Lyme disease for most of your life, as we now suspect that I have, killing it is hard. It is a full load illness. It affects every system of the body. It causes a, a, a range of symptoms so wide that it's almost indistinguishable from a lot of very serious autoimmune diseases such as MS or Guillain-Barre or uh, all these other things, except that the diagnostics are different. But the symptomatic presentation of Lyme disease is, is so similar. It's, the, it's one of those great imitator diseases. And it's caused by a tick bite uh, and possibly even mosquitoes. There's new evidence that mosquitoes may be carry Lyme disease. All of this is, is so much gray area because my... My, you know what I mentioned before, my primary physician said I didn't have Lyme disease because I grew up in San Diego and it's only in the, the East Coast, but that's apparently not true. We're finding, doctors are now finding a lot of cases of Lyme disease in the Pacific Northwest, in San Diego. I mean, the new Lyme charts will show San Diego as a place where you can get it. And when I was a kid, uh, I was the mascot of my mom's Girl Scout troop. I used to go on these Girl Scout adventures with my, my sister and my mom. Sometimes even my dad would come along. I was the quote unquote boy. So I got to go to Girl Scout camp as the mascot, the boy. And I I loved it. I didn't want to be a, I didn't want to be a Boy Scout. I wanted to be a Girl Scout because it was more fun. When I was a kid, I had a much easier time making friends with girls than with boys because I was not athletic. You know, I definitely have an effeminate streak inside of me, and it was uh, difficult for me to play soccer and fit in. But I loved going to Girl Scout camp because it was just such a comfortable environment for me. I loved hanging out with like this big group full of girls or the other boys who were uh, brothers of Girl Scouts. One time my dad, or a couple of times, my dad actually led a whole troop full of boys at Girl Scout camp where we'd like go do archery and amazing things. And it was so wonderful. But one night I spent the night outdoors with no protection, no bug spray or anything like that. And I woke up in the morning and my entire, my entire face, everything that was exposed was, was swollen with bug bites, everything. I was completely covered in bug bites. And if I ever got Lyme disease from a mosquito bite or possibly even ticks, I feel like that was the day, you know, because I never had that stereotypical rash that comes with the tick bite. But who, I mean, who knows? I mean, I was so covered in bug bites that day. There's no telling what might've happened. And I think that that 
timeline lines up with getting sick in second grade. I'm not 100% sure about that. But when I started thinking back about when I might have been exposed, I feel like that might have been it. And there's no way for me to ever know. So it's this, it's a, a tick-borne bacterial infection that gets in your body. And uh, according to Dr. Ross, it the reason it's so hard to treat is because it's continually changing. It continually grows and adapts uh, and looks different to your body. So your body will continually make new antibodies to it, the IgM antibodies versus the IgG, which is the old antibodies that are no longer fighting the, the disease or proteins. I'm sorry, I don't know all of this super well. But anyway, uh, Lyme disease is constantly changing. So your body is constantly changing to fight it. And it makes it incredibly hard to uh, pinpoint it, which is why he takes the the IgM test much more seriously than the IgG test. If, if I had no markers on the IgG, but I had like two out of three markers of the IgM, he would still consider me to have Lyme disease, even though I've had symptoms for most of my life because it can change so much. Anyway, there's, there's a lot more science in that that I'm not going to go into because I'm not qualified to speak on it. Besides the fact that the research that he's done and that other Lyme disease doctors have done makes me feel confident that I have it. So you can't just kill it because it's changing all the time. You have to be on antibiotics for long enough that it will kill the changing disease as well. And it takes a very long time. I didn't know that at first. My functional medicine doctor told me, you know what, uh, because I know Dr. Ross and because uh, he is such an expert on Lyme disease and because he's treating some of my other patients for Lyme disease, I am willing to treat you so you don't have to go to him. She says this to me. She says, I'm willing to treat you personally and, and diagnose your antibiotics personally so that you don't have to go to someone you can't afford because he was not covered by insurance at all. Um, and at this point, I've been on medical leave for six months. My short-term leave expired. I was no longer getting any sort of disability payment at all. And I was going through the process of trying to get on long-term disability. But I was denied because my test results don't meet the CDC criteria. Uh, my doctor also tried to send me to the polyclinic to see their infectious disease specialist to try to get treated there because she wanted me to be in the best hands possible. But they looked at my test results and said, he doesn't have Lyme disease. He's, he's not even allowed to come in to see us. So I was completely roadblocked there and very quickly discovered that Lyme disease is another one of these diagnoses where because the science is kind of in flux, getting treatment is very hard. Like get, finding a doctor who will treat you is very difficult. And I got so lucky that I found this functional medicine doctor whose name I'm not going to share because um, I feel uncomfortable doing that because I feel like, you know, people in the Seattle area might hound her for appointments. And I, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. And I just prefer not to uh, take the risk of stepping over a line with her because she's been so helpful to me. But yeah, I got so lucky that I found someone who not only found it, but was willing to treat it. And she did a lot of research and really boned up on Lyme disease to help me. Uh, and then went, like, put a treatment plan together with Dr. Ross, the guy who's the expert, and then presented that to me. The treatment plan involves being on a ton of supplements um, that help kind of bolster your immune system and help clear your immune system of the things that happen to you when you have Lyme disease flare-ups. This is when I learned about what's the, the mechanism of what's happening to me when I'm having a flare-up, and it's very interesting. So there's something in your body called cytokines, and they serve many different functions in the body, and they're usually a good thing, unless you have too many. If you have too many cytokines, it actually triggers like muscle spasms, cognitive issues, neurological issues. Uh, it's like your body's flooded with this thing that kind of triggers your brain and all of your, I mean, your full body to do things that it shouldn't because it's overwhelmed with this substance, these cytokines, these, I think they're proteins or a chemical or something that is in your body naturally. 
So when you have Lyme disease, your body produces way too many cytokines, and it's actually the cytokines that produce your symptoms. Uh, this, it's not Lyme disease itself that's causing the symptoms, it's the way your body's reacting to it, creating all these cytokines that creates the problem. So trying to you lower your cytokines is a really important thing to do, and one of the best ways that has traditionally been used for that is to use curcumin, which is uh, an extract from turmeric. So I'm on this curcumin supplement to try to help with cytokines. The more I researched cytokines, the more things started to kind of fall in place and make sense because for someone with Lyme disease, you're creating excess cytokines all the time. If an outside stress that creates cytokines is added on top of that, it can put your body over the edge and you fall into a flare-up where you just have so many cytokines in your body that you can't function normally. And th there's a lot of things that can trigger your body to create excess cytokines in a Lyme disease situation. For example, heat and mold. And that was like a smoking gun to me because one of the biggest stresses I was having before this current flare-up was that it was really, really hot up here in Seattle last summer. And I don't have air conditioning because almost no one does in Seattle. And I was just really struggling at home with the heat. Uh, and I just felt like it was getting worse and worse. And it is possible that maybe my body was creating excess cytokines at that time that tipped the scales into me being flared up for this long. And of course, eight years ago, it was mold and possibly even my diet because I was eating so much gluten. And I found out since then that I'm gluten sensitive. This could explain why I had this period of relative good health because I was exercising well and I was uh, eating really well, and perhaps that lowered my cytokine level so that what was happening from Lyme disease was not tipping me, tipping the scales into full-blown episodes. When I saw that mold was a trigger for cytokine flare-ups, that's when I felt like, hot damn, I think I might actually have Lyme disease in a way that had any sort of confidence behind the thought. When you go on antibiotics for Lyme disease, it creates a huge flare-up of cytokines. Because as you start to break down Lyme disease, this, the antibiotics are breaking down the Lyme disease cells themselves, your body rushes to fill them with cytokines to try to fix the issue or to fight the, the broken diseased cells or something like that. I don't quite understand that part of it. But basically, uh, the reason that cytokines are happening because of Lyme disease is vastly amplified by going on antibiotics. Uh, it's, it's called a die-off reaction. So. This was sort of the last thing for me that convinced me to try the antibiotics was that if you start antibiotics and you have Lyme disease, you should get significantly worse. And it's not like stomach aches and issues you might have with antibiotics anyway. It's like you, your legs might just stop working. You know, your, your brain might just stop working. And that, to me, seemed like the best option because if it happened to me, that I had this die-off reaction, that would be a sort of confirmation. And I was willing to take the risk of being more uncomfortable because I'd been on leave for like seven or eight months at this point. Uh, we're getting close to now in this story. I'd been on leave for long enough that I was getting strong enough that I felt like I could take a dip back and still be uh, okay. Uh, like the first few months that I was on leave, I could barely walk. And I was willing to take the risk of going, going back to that if it would help, because maybe it will be the last time that that happens. Maybe it'll be the last time that I have one of these surprise flare-ups where my whole life comes to a screeching halt and I can't work and I can't play in bands. I mean, I had to cancel my, my new band's first show in Seattle and it was devastating to me. It was so hard. Uh, for the first several months that I was on leave, I'm like, there's no way I'm canceling that show. I will find a way to get better and I will get on that fucking stage. And then 
we hadn't rehearsed in so long because I couldn't even get to my friend's house to rehearse and it just wasn't going to happen. And I had to admit that to myself and actually blew up at my drummer one day because he's like, dude, you need to make a decision. I'm like, fuck you. I will make no decisions. I will make a decision on Tuesday and it's Friday. Leave me alone. <laughs> I really I really blew up at him over text and I felt really bad about it later, but I, I it was such a hard thing for me to let go of. Uh, and as an apology, I asked I asked if his band could fill the spot because he's in this other band called Eagle Teeth, and he was a, a good sport about it. And they did Eagle Teeth did play the show, but man, it was tough. I've given up so many things in the last eight months. I was asked to be on a sci-fi panel at uh, Mopop for talking about the history of Star Trek, and saying no to that was like being punched in the remaining testicle that I still have. <laughs> But but I'll tell you, I've gotten very used to letting go of things because of health reasons. And I've just rearranged my mind so that health reasons come first, period. No matter what I want to do, it doesn't matter because my health is more important than that. And I've gained the ability to let go of things easier because that's how my mind is structured and that helped tremendously. The other thing that helped tremendously is that in the last few months, I met someone named Andy who I started dating. Um, my dating life has been very active while having Lyme disease, which is so strange. And that, I feel like it's a whole other topic that maybe I'll talk about if anyone ever wants to hear this. But I met someone amazing. Uh, I met someone who made my life so much better so quickly just by being a part of it. And I felt more prepared to to dive into something physically difficult with her support. There was someone else that I was dating who was the nurse that I mentioned who was wonderful and incredibly supportive through all of this, but our relationship wasn't the type where you want to spend all day every day together, where you just like fall into that immediate infatuation phase and you're just kind of all about being together and it's wonderful. And that happened to me with Andy and it was it was like it was like the most wonderful lucky timing that's possible to imagine. It, it's like that flash of lightning thing that I was talking about at the beginning of the episode where feeling like Hannah found my podcast at the perfect time. That's how I felt about meeting Andy. It's just like my life was getting so hard. So it's such a struggle to wake up in the morning every day because it not just physically, but emotionally. And it's still physically very difficult to get up in the morning, but, but because I've met this person who uh, I, I might wake up next to, who I can look at and smile, the emotional aspect of of the difficulty is so much easier. And I just feel beyond lucky that that happened when it happened. So that happened and then <laughs> and then I started the antibiotics because I had a support structure in place. And then Sarah, you know, Sarah's around so much. She can, she's my emergency walk miles at night if I need it person because she lives pretty close by. Uh, and she, Sarah and I spend like full days together. This is the only good thing about being on medical leave is that you can spend full days with the people that you want to spend the day with. And which is great for me right now because most days I can't do much of anything besides play Mario, talk, watch movies. Uh, if I'm lucky, I'll make some music. But just having someone to come and spend a whole day with me and hang out and have a great time and forget for a little bit of time that, that that's all I can do because it's fun and I like it and I like doing it. So it feels okay to have that be all I can do. That's wonderful too. Um, and that's something that I've really learned over the last few months is when things get really hard, well, when things got really hard for me, I shifted my focus to what is it that I enjoy about my day? Because my day is completely overtaken by having Lyme disease now. So what, what do I enjoy about my day? What can I focus on that will be fun? Uh, I bought a Wii U, which was... <laughs> 
very questionable decision because my insurance was about to run out. My, my monthly insurance payments was about to run out. Uh, but I bought a Wii U so I could play Mario Maker, which is where you create your own Mario levels and play levels that other people have made. There's this huge community online for it, and it's my new obsession. I'm in, so in love with it. And it really helped to have a new, fun hobby to engage in. Uh, and then just spending time with the people that I care about the most and having it be awesome has been wonderful. So my spirits have been way up right around the time that I started the antibiotics. And I was hanging out with my friend Jane that night, kind of cheers turn and swallowed this thing that I knew might make me way sicker. And the next day I couldn't move. The first day on antibiotics, I was completely bedridden. I mean, felt so sick. But then the day after that, I felt pretty good. I was like, oh, well, was that just like a, a regular flare-up because I still have those or was it the like cytokine flare-up from taking the antibiotics and I just didn't know and then I, I kept having these really intense periods where my symptoms would come back way stronger than they'd been since I first got sick but then go away a couple hours later within a couple of weeks of taking the antibiotics I was a hundred percent sure that I was having the die-off reaction because it got bad I mean I <laughs> And I, like yesterday, Andy and I were hanging out and I was walking behind her and I just like lost the ability to use my legs, lost the ability to think, to call out to her, to say that I was having a problem and just collapsed behind her on the floor. She didn't, she was like walking down the stairs at the time at the place we were hanging out. And she didn't even realize that I wasn't following her. And I ended up just like lying on the floor, unable to call to her, to tell her that I was having a problem until like two or three minutes later where the ability to speak came back. And those types of things are very frightening. And I have gotten very good at kind of riding them out and, and just being calm inside of them. Uh, the things that I can do, I can like, I'll take most of the day to make food and then watch TV and then make dinner and then watch TV. I mean, that's, that's a very common day for me. Uh, so I sleep through at least half of the day. And then if I'm lucky, I will maybe play some pinball or uh, record a podcast or work on some music. But even just singing can get really hard for me because of the, the amount of energy it takes to support your voice. Uh, that can be really tricky. And on really good days, I do go out and have fun sometimes. Like I'll go to coffee shops, with, meet up with friends. Um, I'm trying to have a very active social life because I'm afraid of disappearing like I did last time. But I do now feel like I have Lyme disease because I had this die-off reaction because I'm right in the middle of the die-off reaction. I'm like three weeks into taking antibiotics right now. I do feel like I have Lyme disease uh, and that antibiotics are the right way forward. So now when I lose the ability to walk and I collapse and I can't think and I can't speak for, minute, for minutes, you know, sometimes longer, I just remind myself because there's always a piece of me that is still me in my brain. When all that's happening, I am still here, you know? I don't go anywhere. Uh, even if like what that piece of me that is still me gets really, really dim, it's still there. Um, and then it comes back to full brightness later when I feel better. But that piece of me, I have taught to relax. Uh, I have taught it to remember that I am still me, that I am still whole somewhere inside and to hold on to that because I can get it back. You know, like that's the big difference now is that I can get it back. Lyme disease can cause permanent damage. Uh, it's very possible that I will never get back to 100%, but I was at 80% for years before I got, before this current flare up and I felt pretty good. You know, I got a lot done. So, so me, me at 80% is 
is all I need to do what I need to do with my life. So my goal is to get back to that, to get back to the 80% place where I was still functional. My biggest concern right now is the fact that uh, I was denied disability because my test results don't meet CDC definition. So all of a sudden I have zero income. Uh, besides my patrons on Patreon, who I'm, I make, I think 15 bucks a month. And let me tell you how much that means to me. It's a whole hell of a lot. So right now I'm leaning on my parents to support me. I'm trying to appeal the decision to, uh, to get this disability payment back. But they actually sent me a letter last week that said, we understand that your doctors believe that you have Lyme disease, that you've had these tests that point to Lyme disease, and <laughs> and that you have all these symptoms. But according to your doctor's notes, when you tried the ketogenic diet, you got slightly better. Uh, and according to the CDC, you don't have Lyme disease. So according to our doctors here at the insurance company, you should be ready to go back to work which is so offensive and so upsetting. I can't even tell you what it feels like to read that. It's just like, I thought I'd finally gotten past the point in my life where people were gonna tell me I was crazy, where people were gonna tell me that I was making this up and that I was fine and that I should be able to do what everyone else can do because I finally had like a, a legit diagnosis. But even my legit diagnosis uh, is still not legit enough for insurance. So all of a sudden things are being denied by insurance. Like test, this test that I had done, I, it's $2,000. I don't even know if I'm gonna be able to get it covered by insurance because it has to be 100% medically relevant. And even though it is medically relevant, without the CDC definition of a Lyme disease test, the insurance can still fight that. And that's crazy. I mean, I'm very, fingers crossed I won't have to pay for this test. My doctor doesn't think that I'm gonna have to, but I mean, she's not the one who makes the decision. So, so that's terrifying. Luckily, I just got my tax return. And because I spent half the year last year on medical leave, I got a great tax return. So that's going to get me through about a month, maybe two. And then I just don't know. I just don't know what I'm going to do because I can't work. You know, I can make these podcasts, which is wonderful and is, is like a, a great outlet for me to feel like I'm not vanishing from my life as I knew it before. But that makes 15 bucks a month. So so even though I'm embarrassed to say this uh, and to put this like towards the end of the episode, I know this is sort of emotionally manipulative, but I would love your support right now financially. It would be such a big help. It would take so much of my worry off of my life to, to have any sort of financial help right now. So you can go to jessemercury.com, click on support, and there are links to sign up to be a Patreon patron or to donate one time through PayPal. Uh, if you listen to the show regularly, just throwing me two bucks a month makes a huge difference to me. Uh, it's, it's one of the most exciting things that I can see is that someone else has put enough confidence in me in my podcast to donate uh, even two bucks a month. And then that donation level two bucks a month gets you access to my premium podcast, which I'm really, really loving, which has been going super well. But but the thing that's nice that I have now is that because my Lyme disease diagnosis is pretty well confirmed as far as it can possibly be confirmed by this die-off reaction, I no longer feel embarrassed or uh, ashamed of telling people that I have Lyme disease because it always came with a disclaimer. It's like, I have Lyme disease, but I might not have Lyme disease. And I mean, yes, that disclaimer is still present, but the the but I'm as close as I'm ever going to get to thinking that that's what it is. You know what I mean? So I, I feel like the odds in favor of Lyme disease are strong enough that I don't need to feel like I need to feel shame about sharing my diagnosis because I've already had one that was disproven. There's a lot of shame in that. Like saying I had fibromyalgia for years, even talking about it on this show before and how that impacts my life, then finding out I don't have it. 
you can't, you can't understand what that feels like unless you go through it. Um, and you can't understand what it feels like to think that MS is a good news situation because you want to know what's wrong. Um, and I'll tell you, like, I, I used to think that MS was a good news situation just to get an answer. But then when I was waiting for that MRI, waiting for that test result to see if it was actually MS, I was terrified. And all of those feelings of feeling like I was ready for it and prepared for it and I would deal with it if it happened, they all went out the window when I opened those test results to see, do I have MS? It all went out the window. I, I do believe that I am strong enough to deal with that if that's what had happened. But Lyme disease is treatable, you know, like Lyme disease is the only thing that I've looked at uh, in a really long time that w can actually be cured. If I'd caught it fast enough, it was curable. I just found out recently that a friend of mine had Lyme disease as a kid and they found it right away and they treated him and he was fine. And that's crazy. You know, like that's his Lyme disease experience. Whereas mine is that it has eaten up a huge portion of my life. Um, but like I said last time, it's changed me for the better and it's made me a better person. And then uh, I'm just going to share something super personal because I'm sure Andy will be okay with this. But Andy actually told me, Andy's now my girlfriend as of very recently. And that's amazing. I haven't had a girlfriend in a really long time and let alone someone this incredible. But she actually said to me that she's almost glad that I went through what I went through because the person that I am now seems to have been so changed by it and to be... To, to her to be so special that it seems worth it. And that's like one of the only times in my entire life where I felt like it was all worth it, you know? And I've, I felt that on several different occasions and it's very powerful when I feel it, but I haven't felt it in a while. I haven't felt it since this new flare up happened. I had definitely kind of accepted it into my life that I had fibromyalgia and it felt worth it to be a better person to have and have fibromyalgia. But then when I found out I didn't have fibromyalgia and it might be something else, none of it's worth it anymore. You know, like the thing that I thought was worth it wasn't even real. So then what's, what's, what matters? How am I going to deal with this now? Because the, the mechanism that I had come up with to deal with it doesn't work for the new situation. But then I'll tell you what I did is I just learned what the new situation was and I adapted a new mechanism that would help. And then I got the Lyme disease news and that was crazy. I mean, that was such a huge turning point for me just to say that whatever it is might be treatable. And so the last three months, I've been spending a lot of time trying to open up myself to the potentiality of getting better because a big part of having a chronic illness is like learning how to turn off the part of yourself that wants to get better, telling that part to shut up and be happy with what you have, be happy with the faculties that are left. And that's the way to be, you know, I mean, you got to treat every day with joy. You have to approach every day with joy. And with happiness in order to be happy. You're not just going to be happy. You have to approach everything with happiness. Uh, so for me, finding ways to approach what was left of my life with happiness was a very good and healthy exercise. But then on top of that, to discover that I might be treatable in the long run, I have to now be open to getting better because I'd closed that off. Uh, and that's hard for me. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to approach that in an open way. Something I just remembered that I've totally forgot to mention is the part that marijuana has played in this for me. Uh, marijuana has been a lifesaver. So I, I was working on some hip hop stuff with Baby Dan uh, pretty soon after I got sick and I was feeling miserable. I had no energy and I was like, why did I let him come over? I feel terrible. Uh, but then he's like, you want to smoke a bowl? I'm like, sure, let's smoke a bowl. And my symptoms just dropped away. And it was such a relief like so much relief. My symptoms were dialed way back. They were still there, but all of a sudden I could put some energy into making some music. And I crashed really hard that night, but 
it was kind of an eye opener to me. It's like, wow, maybe I can find some relief from weed. So I've actually since then gotten my medical marijuana card. I've done some reading about Lyme disease and there is a, there is some correlation between Lyme disease helping with marijuana, but this is mostly something that I just made up because I discovered it. Uh, so heavy indicas are wonderful for Lyme disease. Uh, uh, tinctures are great. Sativa, not so good. Sativa actually triggers my flare-ups sometimes. Like I smoked sativa accidentally the other day and my right foot like started feeling like it was burning from the inside out and it was awful. So don't do that. But uh, indica leaning hybrid is great. And it's it does a weird thing. Um, like smoking weed is fun and it's fine and I love it. But it's not something that I did that often because I like to be clear-headed a lot. I like to be sharp and fast and quick. But all of my quickness and my sharpness has been dulled by Lyme disease and it makes it a lot harder for me to think straight sometimes. And there are podcasts that I've done where I can hear that I'm struggling to come up with words because my brain is not just flowing. But smoking weed brings me back up more towards normal than where I was if I'm having a flare up, which is really cool. It's like it's like smoking weed. It makes me a little bit happier and it also makes me feel a little bit more normal. And then I get happier on top of that. So it's really nice. That has been an incredible crutch to lean on and also fun, you know? I've never wanted to be a stoner. You know, I never wanted to be the type of person that smoked weed every day. I like using weed uh, as a, a recreational activity. Same with alcohol. Like, I never, I've never, i never been someone to do anything every day. I like things in moderation. Uh, and on my current diet, I can barely drink anything. It makes me sick to have, like, more than a drink. I've had maybe, like, four drinks in the last eight months because uh, it's not really doing anything for me right now but I've smoked a hell of a lot of weed and it's been so nice to have something that f helps. No medications were helping. I mean, I was on tramadol before, like nothing that I was trying was helping. My doctors couldn't give me any prescriptions that were at all helpful. And, but then marijuana was helpful. And I talked to my doctors about it and they're like, Oh my God, do it. If that's helpful, fucking do it. You know, weed, weed is legal in Washington. Like go for it. Yeah, so some self-experimentation with that has been hugely helpful, and I can't say enough good things about that. And I want it to be out there that medical marijuana is different from recreational marijuana. It is so – it feels different in the body. It serves a different function. It can help people function, you know, in, in, a, in a space where functionality is almost impossible. So uh, the fact that I've gotten any podcast out in the last eight months is thanks to marijuana. So – Let's all say thank you, marijuana. Thank you very much. So where am I now? I mean, now I am three weeks into the antibiotics. I've got this incredible new girlfriend. I have so much hope for the future that I will get better. Uh, I feel like it's reasonable to expect that I can get back to my 80% goal. I feel like that's a reasonable expectation. Can I get better than that? Can I get better than I felt in the last eight years? Maybe, maybe. That's not something that I really dwell on at this point because... I learn to live with a level of pain every day. I learn to live with this pressure in the right side of my head all day, every day. And that fucking sucked. You know, like learning learning how to just say, oh man, it still hurts. Doctors are telling me it's like nothing, but it's still there and it hurts. And like, what am I supposed to do about it? And I still don't know about that one symptom if it is even related to Lyme disease. I mean, I just don't trust doctors at this point, uh, except for my functional medicine doctor, uh, to to really dig deep into the symptoms that I have to find out what's causing them. Right now, we're at the point where antibiotics is really the only way forward because 
because Lyme disease is a total load illness, it could be causing weird symptoms that we don't understand in my head causing this pain. That's totally possible. But there's no way to prove that. There's no way to figure that out. So right now, the only thing I can do is be on antibiotics. The tricky thing is that I have to be on antibiotics for anywhere between six months and three years. And I will be having uh, cytokine flare-ups the whole time. Fighting Lyme disease is no easy thing. And it can take years, especially for... uh, especially if you're like me and it's really, really deeply ingrained in your body because you've had it for so long. So I have no idea when I'm going to get back on my feet at all. I have no idea when I'm going to be able to get up on stage and play music with my band. I have no idea when I'm going to be able to go back to work, when I'm going to be able to have any sort of income. I mean, if I, I have this incredible apartment, I don't know what's going to happen if I if my lease runs out and I still don't have income because I just don't know what to do. I'm not reliable enough to do any job right now. I mean. I, I can't show up to things. I, I can't get myself places because I can't drive a lot of the time. Uh, I'm definitely worse now than I have been in months because of the antibiotics. And I don't know how long that's going to last. But it's put me back into a position where I need disability. I need it. And I can't get it because my test results don't meet the CDC criteria. So so that's scary. But I'm very lucky to have an incredible support system through my family. Um, and I was lucky to get short-term disability for six months. And I mean, fingers crossed that I will be able to get some sort of disability payment coming in. If it doesn't work through my old insurance, through my old job, then maybe I can find something through the city of Seattle. I did get on Apple Care. My insurance ended and I had no health insurance. It was a very terrible time to do that. But I got on Apple Care, which is the state-sponsored um, Medicaid here in the state of Washington. So all of a sudden, all of my health care is free. And it's like, it's, it's like the luckiest thing in the world. I mean, that's what it exists for is people like me who cannot work because of a, a health condition. And I'm so lucky that they accepted the Lyme disease diagnosis and gave me health coverage. So uh, until I go back to work, I have health coverage. Oh my God, it's amazing. That's the, that's the, the big, like I've had three big breaks since I've been on leave. The Lyme disease diagnosis was huge. Uh, getting on healthcare for free was huge. And then meeting Andy was amazing. And that's been fantastic because the, there's nothing that feels like falling for someone, you know, it just creates a very specific type of energy in your body that is so nourishing. And it's the most healing thing that you can possibly experience in my opinion. And to find that now is insane. It's so lucky. It's so cool. And she's actually going to come on the show. I'm going to have her watch Star Wars with me because <laughs> she has almost no Star Wars watching experience. But before, we actually recorded an episode last night where we we watched Lost in Space two nights ago, the 1998 reboot. And then we recorded a podcast about last night. That's awesome. So you're going to get to hear from Andy uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but But overall, right now, I feel hopeful. You know, that's where I'm at. I feel like I'm moving in a positive direction and the money stuff will work itself out. My body will heal. Um, it might get, it might get worse still before it starts to get better. And I might be having these really intense flare ups for the better part of, you know, years, but hopefully not. Hopefully it'll go relatively quickly because I'm on this, you know, ketogenic diet and I'm doing everything I can possibly do to give my body what it needs to get better. And this is a huge pet peeve of mine. When I see people who are ill in any way, and they don't take any steps to get better, that's fucking bullshit. That drives me crazy. If you are not happy with your health and you know that jogging will help you and jogging feels good, but you just can't get yourself up to do it, figure your shit out, get up and do it. You know, find some way to do it. And it doesn't have to be like you just have to f- 
find a way to, you don't just have to convince yourself. You can find a mechanism to do it through. You can find like a song that really pumps you up that you want to listen to every day. You can like set a goal. I don't know. Just do something, do something. Like I, I've been, have, I've lived every day for about eight years where every day my first priority had to be my health or I would be in bed without my legs working, you know? Uh, and when I watch people complain about not being able to get their health under control and then I see them go out and drink really heavy amounts and, and party like crazy and not do what it takes to get better, it, it hurts me. It hurts me inside. You know, take dance classes, go to yoga, find something where you physically move and use your body that you enjoy, uh, anything, anything, and do it because you're a human being and you need to use your body because you are healthy enough to do so. If you're like me and you can't get up and run, like I love jogging. I can't do it. I can't like ride my bike. I can barely walk right now. I can barely take my dog out. I have to find, uh, ways to use my body without getting my heart rate up because I will go into those really intense moments where my body gets like flushed with heat and I start spasming like crazy and my, my brain starts hurting so bad and I just can't do anything and it sucks. But then the moments that I have where I can do something, I take them. So don't wait until your body breaks to take the steps to fix it. Work on your body now. I mean, your body is the one thing that is completely yours and you should take care of it. Uh, and I, speaking on behalf of the chronically ill, um, don't whine about it if you aren't taking care of it, please. It bothers me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm such a dick right now. Uh, but yeah, overall, I feel hopeful. I kind of, I, I was trying to end on a hopeful note and then I got all bitchy at the end there and I apologize, but you know what? Fuck it. Don't care. So this has been an ordeal to talk about. Um, I appreciate you listening. We'll see what happens to this when I edit it down. I'm sure I'll shorten it up a bit. But uh, but that's it, man. That's that brings us up to current. And I've uh I feel I feel so good talking about this. I feel so good putting it out there in a way that I didn't expect. That's been very gratifying. So I will probably continue to talk about my treatment going forward on the podcast. It's definitely not going to be, I'm not going to do like a Lyme disease with Jesse weekly update. I'm not going to do anything like that. But when big things happen, uh, I will update you. Um, I may not update you on how I'm doing week to week because that just goes up and down so drastically. And there's, there are still going to be weeks where you don't hear from me because I'm too ill to make a podcast. But, but you know what? It doesn't matter because my life view is that you take the positive things and you feel them as much as possible, and you enjoy them as much as possible. You take the negative things, and you try to find ways to shift them into positivity, and if that's not possible, you find a way to deal with it. And my best way to do that is to find things that feel good and do them instead. So podcasting is that for me, and I am going to continue to do it. So thank you so much for being a part of this show, for listening, for supporting me, Thanks again to everyone who wrote after last week's episode or on Twitter and Facebook. Don't forget my one rule from last week about talking about my health on the show is that I don't want medical advice from you. Uh, if you have had Lyme disease and you have gone through this, feel free to write to me because you have every right to tell me what you think. Sci-fi at jessemercury.com. If you are a Lyme disease specialist, I would love to hear from you also. If you're not a specialist, please don't send me medical advice. There was one person who posted on Facebook last week without ever listening to the podcast. Did you hear about how there's this woman who's treating Lyme disease with bees and she has bees follow her around all the time? And it was so funny because like the exact 
thing that I said was so unhelpful was sending weird articles about random shit to people with a real illness, you know? So that's not necessarily helpful. When I am getting the best treatment possible, I, I feel like Dr. Ross is the best person possible to take my treatment recommendations from. Um, that in combination with my functional medicine doctor, who is an incredibly thoughtful and careful physician who has gotten me so far so fast, I feel like I'm in very good hands. So I don't need recommendations. It's going to stress me out. And I appreciate you respecting that. But but it is powerful for me to hear from people with similar stories. And I would be very open to sharing those stories on the podcast in the future because there's a catharsis in that to me and to everyone else who's been chronically ill to be heard at all. And if I can if I can help you be heard also, I'm very interested in that. So feel free to write to me. Uh, but besides that, man, we're going to wrap it up for this week. Another another fun episode. Next week, Leah Russell is coming back and we're going to talk about the Chronicles of Riddick. And then after that, it will be my new girlfriend and I talking about Lost in Space, which is one of my favorite, favorite campy sci-fi movies. I fucking love that movie. And she is so new to sci-fi, not just Star Wars, but sci-fi in general. And in her words, she's very well set up as a person to uh, appreciate sci-fi because it's just something she's never really discovered, but she loves puzzles. She loves thinking about the future. She loves ex- the examining of society through these you know, extreme lenses. She was talking about it in a way that got me really excited. So I'm, I'm excited to share with you um, me sharing sci-fi with my girlfriend. I think that's going to be a cool thing to do on the show as well. So until then, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you soon.